This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, this is The Property Show. I'm Keith Kam. Airbnb recently commissioned a report by British design, engineering, architecture and business consultation firm Arup Group to look at the evolution of work trends and workcation trips following the end of the COVID-19 pandemic. The report talked about how pandemics and disasters have spurred cities to reinvent themselves and make significant improvements in infrastructure and regulations. We attempted several times to get Airbnb's insights into this report, but they declined our requests for an interview. But anyway, in the midst of all this home-sharing short-term rental frenzy, a new kind of business emerged, the Airbnb Management Company. This morning, we are talking to Yap Ken, a co-founder of Plush Services, one such firm that manages short-term rental spaces. But for you guys, it's in the KLCC area, right, Ken? Uh, we actually manage across Malaysia. So we have operations in Ipoh, Penang, Cameron Highlands, and also uh, the Klang Valley. Basically. Nice. Uh, Ken, when and how did the idea to set up Plush Services come about? Um, so we started a long time ago. Like we started when Airbnb was first coming into Malaysia. We had a spare studio unit and then it was like, oh, okay, let's test and see whether this this works out. And then the first night itself, there was bookings and then it was booked for like two months straight. And then we were like, oh, okay, maybe we're onto something. So location wasn't great, right? It's at Kuchai Lama. So we decided, okay, let's try it in a, in a better location in KLCC. And then from there, ah, friends gave us more units to manage and then and now we're like at 300 units management. What sort of services do you provide when you talk about Airbnb management? So Airbnb management actually, the most important is basically the owners don't do anything and everything to deal with the client is Mm. basically on your hands, which is pretty much like cleaning, making sure the laundry gets done, um, management, maintenance, paying the bills, and then at the end of the day, giving the owner a clean... um, summary of accounts right so um, pretty much end to end anything that happens to the house you're taking pretty much taking care of that the services that you provide for these uh, property owners in that case um, I suppose you take a portion of uh, the, the rental income yeah so we take on the net um, mm-hmm. like a 25% of the profits that uh, that, that we uh, that we get from the owner basically how do you convince property owners to engage your services uh, when I suppose a lot of this could be done by themselves. So I think end of the day really depends on whether... I, I mean, owners probably can do it and, and the, the end of the day is whether or not they want to do it, right? right? It's a lot of time and effort and, you know, it's being pinged in the middle of the night that say, hey, you know, you, you missed a, a roll of toilet paper, right? Okay. That kind of thing. And then you have to hit out and then set up a, a send out a roll of toilet paper. So it's quite a lot of work that's involved in setting up and managing an Airbnb business. So... If the owner wants to have that hassle-free, you know, peace of mind, then it makes sense to just hand it off. Because most owners just want to be investors and just, you know, well, watch what was that income come What true. was that aha moment for you to to come up with a, an idea to set up an Airbnb management business like this? Um, I think it was lots of friends asking, like, hey, you know, I have a spare property. Mm-hmm. Rental market's not that great. Uh, I think you can get more money through Airbnb. So then at that point in time, it's like, oh, hey, this makes perfect sense. Right? So 2016, I think, like, market rental was quite soft and there were like some really good choice locations and market demand was really, really strong at that point in time. So it made like absolutely, you know, 
it was quite uh, like you didn't need to think too much about it. Like, it was basically. quite lucrative, lah. Yeah, it was quite lucrative. You were not always in this uh, industry, were you? Yeah, no, I was not. <laughs> what, what were you doing before this? I was in uh, banking, and then after that, I was in marketing. Right. And then I was like, ah, I need to find something to new to do, lah. Right. So, <laughs> also, if you could like maybe give us a sort of you know uh, paint us a picture on what uh, a comparison between rental income from Airbnb versus uh, something a little bit more long term for these uh, uh, property right. owners be, be so like. So I think end of the day, it really depends on the location of the unit. So some places make perfect sense for you to to do um, short-term rentals. And some places make perfect sense for you to do long-term rentals, right? Like, um, if the competition is really, really stiff, then it sort of starts to catch up. Like, okay, long-term rentals might start to make more sense. Okay. Um, if we were to look at certain cases, like if you have a unique property that's designed really well um, and there's strong demand, if you, it's the kind of property that if you look at it on the Airbnb platform and you see, oh, wow, this is the kind of property I would be willing to pay more. Like, let's say, for example, I pay a thousand ringgit for a really well done up um, three-story house um, and this kind of property will be booked out quite far in advance right so so for example we have um, some houses in Tamandesa that does um, 15 to 20,000 on a net mm-hmm. right back to the owner for a terrace house that would otherwise normally get maybe 5,000 mm-hmm. so then it's like it's quite a clear-cut situation like okay short-term rentals very very good yield for this kind of property um, another project that we're doing so we're doing for uh, Kamuda High Park um, so that kind of property where it's uh, small units, 300 square feet, 450 square feet. Um, but we're getting pretty good yields, like 6 to 8% yields net back to the owner. But for long-term rentals, that place is no good. Like, it's pretty dead. Okay. Right? So it really kind of depends on the kind of properties and you kind of need to evaluate on the market conditions. And you don't actually sit, I suppose, you don't actually sit and wait for property owners to come to you and say, hey, I've got a unit to, to be let out as, as an Airbnb uh, uh, rental unit. What sort of marketing do you go through to, to, to get customers to come to you? So we reach out to owners in specific locations that we think has really good potential. Like, for example, uh, Royce Residences, uh, The Muse, um, places that we feel has really high potential. Then we'll try and reach out to the owners in that building. So we either reach out through management, or drop flyers, things like that, right? Um, contact them. Um, that kind of thing is what we try and do. F- I mean... At this point, we try and focus our marketing a little bit more to places that we think has really, really good potential. What are the some of the challenges that you see in this industry? I mean, um, of late, we keep reading about pushback from small hotel owners. Even some condominium management might not take too kindly to this sort of short-term rentals. Yeah, I mean, I don't blame them. Can you imagine like having 100 people checking in and checking out? Mm. It becomes kind of like a hotel, right? Um, I understand where they're coming from. End of the day, it really depends on the nature of the property. So, like, we, we are quite respectful in terms of, like, um, if if the building bans Airbnb, let's not go and disturb them, right? Sure. Um, but, of course, some operators don't do that. So just, just, they just, let's go gung-ho and let's just go, right? Um, so, we try and respect that and we try and make sure that uh, we have these kind of differentiators. But compared to small hotel operators, um, what sets us apart from small hotels is that we actually provide probably a slightly different product range. Like I would say uh, our products are more su- suited towards a longer term stay. Like a, like we would have kitchen cabinets, wardrobes, things that would appeal more to, to their nature. Um, so it really is a quite a different product differentiation. I wouldn't say it's like a direct competition head to head. So it, it, yeah, that's how I feel about it. What are some of the trends uh, 
that you have been observing, especially with uh, travel travel having returned to normal post COVID nineteen? Mm. So we are seeing. Um, so I think pre COVID, we saw a lot of like business travelers coming through to our units. Uh, now not so much. Like we see people who are traveling on their own for work, probably staying like two to three weeks. We still see those, but not none of those expat type visits as much anymore. So none of those people coming in. Like in the city center, we're seeing almost purely all tourism. Okay. So not so much people staying two weeks, three weeks. We don't get those bookings anymore. Um, but uh, we also haven't seen uh, China coming back in yet. Mm. We, still, we see them, but they're not... We're not quite here as apparent as last time. Like we would see last time, 30, 40% would be our representation. Now it's probably like a 20%, I would say. Yeah. Even before the pandemic hit, Airbnb had always been advocating sustainable travel amongst its hosts. This is, I guess, all the more meaningful amidst increasing awareness of climate changes and rising social inequalities. Uh, I was wondering if you would talk to me about the reception you get from your clients in this regard. Do you need to, um, you know, tweak any of the products that, that you put out? I think maybe this is more of a first world demand kind of thing. I don't think we see it quite very apparent in our markets yet. Um, So far, I haven't, like, most of them basically just want a really nice unit and something that, you know, it's Instagram worthy. And and, and I I, I think that the sustainability part is something that is still on the back of their mind. It's not really quite in the forefront yet. Ken, thanks very much for your insights. Most welcome. That was Yap Zerken, co-founder of Plush Services, a company that manages Airbnb and similar short-term rental spaces. On the other side of the break, BFM journalist He and Chi will be talking to Sheldon Fernandez, property guru's country manager for Malaysia, for insights into how short-term rentals impact overall housing affordability and the rationale behind regulating STRAs. BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, welcome back to The Property Show, where this week we are exploring short-term rental accommodations, or STRAs. In this part, BFM journalist He Eun Chi talks to Sheldon Fernandez, property guru's country manager for Malaysia. Around the world, we have seen city councils like New York starting to regulate short-term rental accommodation. In Malaysia, Penang Island stands as the first and only city to have implemented such regulations in which they have banned all forms of short-term rentals in private residential properties. To further discuss how such regulations could impact the housing market in Malaysia, I am speaking to Sheldon Fernandez, country manager at Property Guru Malaysia. Now, it has been several months since Penang Island has imposed a ban in May this year. How has this affected the housing market in the area, particularly when it comes to housing affordability? I think it's important to know that this is not a complete ban as commercial titles properties can still serve as short-term rentals pending certain requirements, of course. Also, as you rightly pointed out, Penang is not the first city to introduce such short-term rental restriction. Now, if you look at a larger picture, numerous cities around the world, including you know cities like New York, Sydney, have previously introduced various short-term rental bans and restrictions in an effort to tackle issues such as house price inflation, uh, pushing out locals off the rental market, and also fueling over-tourism. Now, other concerns include increase of noise and crime, uh, putting a strain on available parking or traffic around the area, as well as distorting the characters, uh, characteristics of the neighbourhoods. Now, nevertheless, it is recommended for the Penang State Government to study and evaluate the impacts of the SDR restrictions after a certain period. Considering that this is a first-of-its-kind measure in Malaysia, 
and that the ban would affect property owners and landlords in Penang, an evaluation of the new STR guideline is only reasonable. Certainly, the state government would want to ensure that the policies uh, are serving the intended purpose and that local tourism is not being impacted. On your other question on housing affordability, any spillover effects are yet to be seen. However, I would say that if any impacts, it will likely appear first on the rental housing market. Many landlords, especially in prime tourist areas, would opt for SDR instead of a conventional rental as it is more lucrative, right? Now, it is hopeful that such SDR restrictions on Penang Island would make more, would make rental more accessible to the locals as there will now be more properties available for rent in the market. Based on our own Malaysia property market report in the quarter three of 2023, where we evaluate data and insights from propertygroup.com.my, we see that rental demand index saw a drop of 11.3% quarter on quarter. This was due to rising rental prices, which exceed the budgets of many prospective tenants, as indicated by a 4.9% increase in rental price index during the same period. Could you further explain why we are observing a reverse effect where rental prices are high while the demand remains low? So if rental asking prices increase, what naturally we tend to see is a reverse in terms of rental demand. Why? Because affordability of rental prices going up. So people tend to not move out of their current premises and move to new uh, locations where they were first eyeing upon, given the affordability issue. Sabah has also expressed its intention to regulate short-term rentals in the state. Can the regulations in Penang, such as the ban, serve as a replicable model for other states? Or what are the local factors that we need to consider when it comes to drafting all these regulations? Well, first of all, I would say coming up with regulations for the SDR industry is a step in the right direction, as absence of laws or policies for that matter will result in confusion and disputes, especially when you know, any incident or illegal activity occurs. Now, the regulation in Penang could serve as a reference point, but local authorities in Sabah would also have to conduct extensive fieldwork and engage the necessary stakeholders before coming up with an SDR framework. Now, I don't think this is a one-size-fits-all solution and evaluation factors which will very much depend on the locality profile. So questions like, is it a tourist hotspot or a residential neighbourhood? What are the availability of hotel units in the area? What is the availability of affordable housing in the area and so on? Regulations can be developed to fit the locality profile. For example, Portugal, they have stopped issuing new SDR licenses to property owners. But property owners in rural and outskirt areas are allowed to operate SDR as the positive impacts include income generation for citizens as well as neighbourhood rejuvenation. So previously, local government development minister Nga Korming has announced that the government will come up with a framework to regulate STRA nationwide. Now, if we look at Malaysia as a whole, what should be the ultimate goal of such a framework? And how should policymakers strike a balance by regulating all these short-term rentals without discouraging tourism at the same time? Well, first of all, I highly encourage the government to push through a regulation on short-term rentals as they are doing. The key goals of such framework though is important to maintain the balance within the Malaysian rental market. Now, we will want to encourage economic stimulation while ensuring residents' quality of life is not being impacted and that local renters are not being pushed out of the housing market. Blanket regulation or nationwide regulation might not be ideal. As I said before, it's 
I don't think it's a one-size-fits-all solution. It would be optimal for our policymakers to first study the current short-term market in various states or areas in Malaysia to identify what is the existing issues, what are the complaints, and what are the gaps. It is also important that we must keep in mind, typically there are a few categories within the SDR market, and a unique set of guidelines should be developed for each category. Now, if you break down those categories, some things that we see are partial short-term rentals where the owners rent out rooms rather than entire unit. At the same time, there's dedicated short-term rentals for the entire unit where the owners advertise using platforms like uh, Airbnb or Booking.com. At the same time, there's a third category, which is investor-owned properties, where the investors pass on the entire unit to be managed by property management companies uh, for a short-term period. Obviously, a portion of that income generated will be used to pay the said property management company for their services. So these guidelines and policies should first take into consideration the various categories within the industry itself. Certain categories might have more relaxed policies as compared to the other, as certain checks and balances have been put in place. For example, right, the investor category will have a much more stringent policy as opposed to those uh, in the first category where they're just renting out rooms. Could you give us a picture about how all these potential regulations translate into building and forming a healthier housing market in Malaysia? So when it comes to regulation, as I said, the two key points down here is to ensure there's good quality of life as the intended purpose will be to serve the ecosystem and such. Second, obviously, is to ensure that the protection of both the landlord and the tenant is protected. And there's fairness when it comes to accountability on both parties. Uh, you want to discourage unethical practices on both sides to ensure that you, you end up having a very vibrant and conducive ecosystem in the property rental market. That is some very insightful sharing. Now, before I let you go, how would you advise buyers who are planning to invest in properties for short-term rental purposes? Well, for one, I would say, look at your intended purpose, know the laws associated in that state and in that area, and make a firm and good judgment and decision when it comes to the property you're about to invest in. Clearly, it should be beneficial to you as a landlord, as a potential landlord, but also equally beneficial to the tenant that you're about to rent to. Um, so taking all this consideration into, into your decision making and, and making the right decision appropriately. Sheldon, thank you so much for your time. On this week's property show focusing on short-term rental accommodations, the rules, regulations and whether or not it might be a viable investment option, he and she spoke with Property Guru's country manager for Malaysia, Sheldon Fernandez. Earlier, I spoke with Yap Ken, the co-founder of Plush Services, a company that manages Airbnb and similar short-term rental spaces. If you've missed any parts of these conversations, you can listen back to the podcast on the BFM app that's available on the Apple App Store and Google Play or just go on to our website at bfm.my. We are also available on Spotify. I'm Keith Calm for BFM 89.9, The Business Station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.